science is agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man as the dominant species of life on Earth will be extinct within a year. Welcome to Stupid Not Stupid. I'm Matt, here as always with my man Jason, the only known co-host without six legs and a thorax that can lift 20 times his own body weight. <laughs> Proven over and over again. <laughs> Welcome back, Jason. Uh, again, quick turnaround. I think we're, are we going to hit three in three weeks, potentially? I know. It, it's almost like we're professionals at this or oh, something. Oh, man. Almost. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> um, what do you want to do first this week? Uh, we're stupid or drinks? Uh, well, I've got a long list of worst stupid, so we should probably get drinks in us first. Okay. Well, I am uh, this week. I am drinking. When was the last time we did this one? I, was it on Bigfoot? I don't know. You did. It was. Oh, the Illuminati. I think it was we the Illuminati. The truth. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm. Yeah. Uh, I'm throwback to our Illuminati episode. I've got the truth from a brewery which shall not be spoken of until they send us a check. <laughs> what I, is what I've decided. I. I am once again going back to an old favorite uh, that is also done by the same brewery uh, called Raging Bitch. We've got a lot of it lying around. As I say, there's a 7-Eleven between my place and your place, and that's the best beer they've got. So um, I'm also, once again, two-fisting. Uh, I've got a really not awesome bourbon. Uh, <laughs> is this the first time we've criticized a drink I think that we've had be. on the show? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I had not tried it before this show, and I just put, like I took a taste right before we started recording. It's called Matchstick Bourbon. Don't buy um, it. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, it, it may be fine for other people's tastes. Uh, doesn't, it's not doing it for me. What'll be funny is, you know, we've been plugging flying dog for like two years now and they right. haven't done anything for us. We're going to criticize matchstick and yeah, they're, they're going like, to come down they're on gonna us like, like a comp us yeah. all this stuff and be like, you guys no, try this one. We're so sorry. And we're just going to become matchstick reps, yeah, okay. which is fine. I'm okay. I'm, okay I'm open to it. Yeah. Capitalism. Um, all right. Well, uh, with the drinks behind us, it's time for. Jason are stupid. You so this is the portion of the show where we go back and try to correct the things that we said that were stupid from the previous episode. That's right. Yeah. So far, scoreboard is Jason is the only one uh, to have been recorded saying something stupid in a previous episode. I've, <laughs> I am infallible and have never been corrected. But uh, Jason, what do you have for worst okay. stupid edition? Well, there's the first. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have some stuff too, but I, I, judging by the list I see in front of you, I'm assuming mine are all on yours. So I'm just going to kick it to you. Most of mine are just minor and funny, but two of them are really embarrassing and they're on me. So the first one, like right out of the gate, we were talking about the premise of the show. And I said that it started in a, in a garage. It did not. It started in a basement. Oh, well, see, And then we moved to the garage. You could have gotten away with that because not only a few people would have known that, but good catch, good catch. Uh, the second one, this is pretty esoteric, but it, it's something that I spent a lot of time uh, ruminating about. So it was important to me to get it right. Uh, I said that the US has always spent money on science and technology. That's obviously not true. Uh, that ethos really didn't become a policy until the post-World War II era, era. We do spend a lot of money on science and technology now, but that's not always been the case. Well, I assume Benjamin Franklin paid for that lead key and glass bottle before he took the kite out. Well, that's true, but he was not actually the yeah, United he was a, States. Still a British subject then, I right. guess. Too, right? yeah. <laughs> the next one, I said the, the return on investment from space was not a good argument. I, I was very loose with my words. What I should have said is that the return on investment for NASA is not a good argument for doing space science at NASA. The thing is, you know, NASA makes a, a, a lot of claims about spinoff technologies and this idea that, you know, every dollar spent on NASA results in $3 of a boost to the economy. I, I think that that's, that's pretty loose math. I, I, I find it difficult to support that. But that said, uh, space investment primarily due to NASA investment in early stage development and like early tenant contracts, those things are actually very supportable to a space return on invest investment, not necessarily a NASA return on investment. So again, a really you know boring, wonky idea. This is, we're, we're technical edition now, not that's we're right, stupid that's edition. Right. Yeah. But it was important for me. So... <laughs> 
Then I had another uh, loose use of words. Uh, I said that we compress technology at Mars. Clearly, we don't compress technology at Mars. We compress signals. We, we compress data. We use compression data. technology yes. at Mars. Yeah, yes, I exactly. Gotcha. Then uh, this is where it starts to get really embarrassing. And this was a complete slip of the tongue. I think I was thinking in terms of Mars, but I looked at the numbers and even that doesn't make any sense. So I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I said that the moon to Earth was 180 million miles. It's not anywhere close to that. It's about 220,000 miles. And I, I was hoping that I could rescue myself saying that 180 million was the distance to Mars, but it's not. The distance to Mars is, uh, depending on its its orbit, it's between 40 and 160 million miles. We, we've said it before on the show, and we'll say it again. What's a few zeros between That's right. friends? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this uh, is the most self-accountability I think I've ever seen you exercise, Jason. <laughs> well, it was important to me. Uh, I also said that the Hubble Space Telescope was in medium Earth orbit. I knew that it was in a higher orbit than the International Space Station, which is part of the reason that the movie Gravity makes no sense. But- it's not in medium Earth orbit. Can I say why I think the gra- the movie Gravity makes no sense? Sure. So the scene in Gravity that's like 10 minutes in and I was like, yeah, I'm going to hate this movie, is where they're essentially doing repairs on the ISS and they're like, so got any kids? Right, <laughs> like, right, yeah. They're like on a spacewalk, like doing a repair. Yeah. Like they don't know each other. They're just getting acquainted and they just have, you know, like spare unscheduled time to discuss their personal yeah. lives while repairing the ISS. First of all, those people have been all up in each other's knickers for five years right. by the time that they actually right. go on that mission. Right. And secondly, when you're doing a spacewalk, that's not what's on your mind. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to hate this movie. And I did. Right. I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed the movie, although there were a lot of issues. I, like, I liked the special effects. I hated the movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. F- fair enough. So as I said, the, the hundred, uh, excuse me, Hubble Space Telescope uh, is not in medium Earth orbit. It's at about 340 miles above the Earth, whereas the, the ISS is roughly 100 miles below that. It's about 248 miles above the Earth. couple zeros. Uh, yeah. Medium Earth orbit uh, doesn't start until about a little over 12,000 miles, uh, and it expands out to about 36,000 miles. It, it, it's good to get the facts straight, Jason. That's right. I, I'm, <laughs> that's that's why we do this. Because <laughs> we're so focused on facts that's in other right. parts of the show. <laughs> um, the, the next one is, I said it several times, and I think it felt wrong as I was saying it. I have no idea why I had the number stuck in my head. I said that the planetary rotation of the Earth and Mars allowed for a launch every 18 months. It's not 18 months, and I know better than that. It's 26 months. It's it's roughly every two years. So do you want to go back and revise your final verdict then and say it is stupid now based off the extra months? Um, no, because uh, again, you know, six months here, six months there. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> But it was embarrassing to me that I I screwed that one up. And the last one is really, really nitpicking, but it's very silly. So for years, I knew the Parker Solar Probe uh, as the Solar Probe Plus, the SPP. And so when I I referred to the the Parker Solar Probe, I called it the Solar Parker Probe because I was think I had SPP in my head. I, I called it the SPP for, for way too long. So as I wrote on this stupid piece of paper, I was like, TLAs, am I right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> well, there, I, I only have, I had all of those. I knew all the mistakes you made. Um, the only one I have that you didn't hit was uh, Mark Kelly didn't spend a year in oh, space. actually, I've got that one here. It's Scott, Scott Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, Scott's, I skipped that on the paper. Scott I've Kelly got that did. one here too. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right, well- but, we to should our, be ashamed of ourselves. To our credit, though, we said that we weren't sure which one it was, and we couldn't remember Scott's name. Yeah, so, yeah. we knew we were probably wrong. Right. So, all right. Well, do you feel like you've cleansed your soul? Do I? How many Hail Marys should I assign you? Are right. You, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm over here. You know, I've got my finger on the rosary as we yeah. speak. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, are you ready uh, for this week's topic, yeah, Jason? Yeah, let's do it, man. Would you say you're dying of anticipation? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, man. It's just going to be a long night, isn't it? That's just the first one, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's our question this week. Stupid or not stupid, ants are the dominant species on Earth. And this goes back to, I believe, are all the stupid ways the world could end or extinctions? I think it oh, goes to right. extinctions. I think it was the extinctions Yeah, episode. I think it goes to our extinctions episode where we basically did some bonus content at the end and asked uh, an extra question, which was, if humans did go extinct, right. what would take over the earth? And we had a few contenders. I made the case for ants. You called me stupid. And I threw down the gauntlet and said, fine, we'll do a whole episode on right, it, Jason. Exactly. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. And our next episode is going to be about cockroaches and Keith Richards. <laughs> and Keith Richards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So before we dig into the question, I guess I, I just want to share two anecdotes on what makes me care about this topic so much? Okay. If you thought you heard Jason's passion in the recap of the space episode, wait till you hear my passion <laughs> for ants. 
So I first started to think about this topic uh, from a fiction novel. I think we've mentioned it like one other time on the show. And I'm really, really excited about this because I was trying to remember that there because there was the title and then it had like a subtext under it. And I couldn't remember the subtext of the title of the novel. So I went to go look it up on Amazon like an hour ago. And there's been like three more published. It's like a whole oh, series no. now since I read this book. So I know what book. you're going to be up to this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. But the first book in the series is called uh, Morty war with no name and it's now it's known as the war with no name series and the premise of this book <laughs> is that ants are the dominant species on the earth but they've retreated deep into the subterranean recesses of the mantle and they go dormant for millions of years and then the mega ant species these hyper intelligent large ants emerge every few million years consume all the resources available that have re <laughs> replenished on the planet and then retreat back down to the re the cavities of the earth but the catch is the technology that they've developed the ability that they have is to make all other animals sentient like hyper self-aware intelligent and grow to be like six feet tall they basically become human versions of dogs cats pigs it's like animal farm but on a global scale it sounds like it's a ridiculous premise and it all centers around this cat morty who is a boring house cat who becomes one of the most famous assassins in the war against the humans nice. it is literally the most ridiculous premise for a book imaginable and if you read the comment sections on the Amazon reviews, it's like 10 people with five-star reviews being like, how did this guy even think about this? <laughs> and then immediately a one-star person who's like, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> so, you know, it's either, it's a 10 to one ratio. You either love it or you hate it. But I encourage everyone to go check out Morty by uh, Robert Rapino, And it's the War With No Name series. And it's a good primer for this episode. So if you want to just hit pause, go read the book really quick. It's not long. Come back and listen. Yeah, for me, it's, too. it's the movie with the tagline, half man, half ant, mant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then coming out of fiction into the, the realm of the scientific, the other thing that really got my head turning about this was this story I read a few years back about a Ukrainian or in Ukraine. It was a Soviet killer weapons cache in the Ukraine that had been sealed off. Obviously, the nuclear material had been removed. Like, they weren't keeping warheads there anymore. This is the beginning of Mant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this bunker had been sealed off, and the forest had basically reclaimed the area where this Soviet uh, military facility was being kept. And as soon as the humans moved out, the wood ants moved in. But one of the things that was crazy is there's this giant wood ant colony set up inside the bunker, and the track that the ants were using to move in and out of the bunker out into the forest to collect food. Over time, this pipe they were walking over rusted away and broke. And it broke directly over a ventilation shaft that fell straight into like the recesses of the bunker. And so, you know, one in every 100 ants that would follow this trail to the bunker would fall down the hole and could never get back out. And over time, enough ants fell down there with no food in total darkness and freezing temperatures but they adapted and formed a whole new separate almost species of ants with a type of colony and structure that had never been seen before to the point where they basically counted like one out of every 10 ants that fell got to live and they killed the nine others, cut their heads off immediately. And those ants lined up. They're like, oh, okay, obviously there's not enough resources here for me. And they just basically <laughs> chopped their heads off. And because it's in a concrete block, they don't have access to soil to like build their hive or anything. They use the bodies of the ants they decapitated. So like, they made ant head ant hills to live <laughs> inside of. So cannibalized their uh, their brethren and then repurposed their dead bodies to build structures and built this whole new ecosystem where they essentially lived off the mites and springtails, I guess, that came in to pick over the decaying bodies of their fellow, I guess, I don't the d detainees, I don't know, <laughs> castaways. Um, I, I and this really... whole ecosystem developed around it, which was amazing to me. Um, and I just kept thinking, I just remember thinking like, fucking ants, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really want to make fun of the Soviets for that, but it just sounds very Eastern European yeah. somehow, right? Well, and, and the reason, the other reason why this really got me going on this topic is I think that this may be the most important topic that we ever cover, as we've previously yes. said. Well, uh, because, we have a lot of those. <laughs> because the Soviet scientists who are studying the ants, do you know what they did, Jason? I have no idea. They let them out. Oh, good. They put, uh, they basically just put like a wooden pole down the shaft and gave them a way to climb out. 
uh, and all, all of those super ants that were breeding, growing, and plotting their revenge down in you know with the nuclear with the remains of like <laughs> nuclear weapons waste. This is basically the start of a Marvel movie, right? That's like, right. This is yeah, the yeah. premise of the beginning of a Marvel Marvel movie. So I don't know how far they've gotten or what they're up to, but I assume. They're coming for us. Good. Well, for a minute there, I was really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to blame the Soviets for something. So thank you for, for coming around on that one and giving me... <laughs> and yet another reason why we have no subscribers in Russia. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the Russians. I said the Soviets. <laughs> All right. So I just wanted to get that primer out. I don't think anyone cares about any of the stuff I just shared, but read the book, Morty, and go read about those ants exactly. in Ukraine. They had to listen to me you know, correcting myself for 10 yeah. minutes. So that, yeah, that seems like a lighter lift. So if anyone's still listening, uh, <laughs> here is... Here's the we do this often when we have these discussions here's the definition that this is from uh, biology online okay. biology.com so it seems reputable enough they sure have a, yeah. they have a website we'll go with it <laughs> so we say yeah like like we say frequently on the on this show you know lack of evidence is, is evidence is, yeah so and so biology online exists it's a website we're <clears> gonna go with it so dominant species this is the uh, the term I think we have to define going in this if we're gonna answer the question stupid or not stupid okay. answer the dominant species on earth so this is the definition that biology online gives species that have a high abundance relative to other species okay. in a community so they have to have some sort of structure got it and have proportionate effects on environmental conditions so they impact their surrounding environment in a meaningful way and they have community diversity and or an ecosystem function so it can't just be if you're looking at large mammals or something um, over a wide area they might but it's not something that shapes the environment in a massive way. I think very, very few species have like erosion level impacts sure. on their environment. So okay. I, th that's where we're going with this definition. So based off of those parameters, I'd like to pull out, I think, three parts of that to help us decide, because I think what we're really, I think what we're obviously going to go with this, and maybe you're going to throw some other contenders in there. Yeah. But for me, this is a battle royale between humans and ants. Okay. We're trying to decide which is the dominant species here because yeah. our default is, is humans, I think. Yeah. Given that definition, it's hard to, to say that humans aren't at least in the conversation. Sure. So yeah. I think what we have to do is look at three indicators, mass, impact on the environment, and could one destroy the other? Okay. So if you look at those three factors, we can basically score them, compare them, however we want to go on it, go at it, but use those three indicators to determine stupid or not stupid, Ants, and in fact, not humans, are the dominant species on Earth. Okay. All right. So we'll start with mass. Okay. Uh, I think we talked about this already in a previous episode, so I'm not sure this is a great trivia question, but where do you think we are in terms of human mass versus ant mass? Oh, uh, ants probably outweigh us by a huge, huge yeah. proportion. Y y you would be right, Jason. So all of the human biomass on Earth accounts for 350 million tons of people. Yeah. I think we talked on one episode about somebody had done an ex like a, a thought experiment like you could actually pack all of humanity into a very small place. Into Connecticut. Into Connecticut. Yeah. And I think that the, the argument was they all jumped at one time. And, and what, nothing happened. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then everyone died trying to leave yeah. Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 350 million tons for all people, if you had to put it all together. Ants aren't even next after that. 350 so, million tons is actually not that much mass. 7.2 billion people, 350 million tons. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think a lot of that is in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Termites outweigh humans yeah. at 445 million tons. And then this next one, we're, we're jumping all over the uh, the circle of life here. Right. Uh, cattle, 520 huh. tons. Uh, so again, that. thank you, United States. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. South America as well. So cattle check in at number two. So let's just, those numbers again, 350 million for humans, 445 million for termites, 520 million for cattle, ants, 3,000 million. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not even, I mean, orders of magnitude greater. It's not even the same conversation. Ants have the largest biomass after bacteria on planet Earth. And there's an argument, I think, to make whether bacteria should be part of the conversation. You're, you're already or not. stealing my, my thunder here. <laughs> I was going to wait to the end of the episode for that one. But yeah. So I remember reading somewhere a very long time ago that the biomass of insects is greater than the biomass of like all mammals combined. Oh, for sure. Yeah. By yeah. like a factor of four or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Do you just want to have the bacteria conversation now, Jason? Just b Bacteria don't have sentience, so I'm not sure we can count them as a dominant species for the purposes of this argument. I'm entirely gonna... certain that I grant you that ants have sentience. Well, I th we're going to cover that. Right. Yeah, but I, I think that if you're going to entertain bacteria, then you have to start entertaining plants. 
And I, I don't think that that's in the spirit of the question. Well, I don't I don't know that plants. What's that Mark Wahlberg movie where the plants like kill all the people? Oh, they, like, I think develop... it's an M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. They like develop pollen to stop deforestation to like, <laughs> right, make people right. murder themselves. Okay. Right. Maybe um, I better be careful. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is I think that bacteria has had more of an impact on the planet than basically any other species. And I remember being in a, a biology class at some point where they were talking about this thought experiment if aliens came to earth and they were measure they were trying to determine what the dominant species was on earth by measuring the amount of life or the amount of variation in speed like by almost any of those measures they wouldn't even notice humans because we're statistically insignificant by comparison to bacteria so it's kind of hard to, to not at least include them in the argument okay well we can we can include them but i think it's going to be pretty easy to eliminate them as we go on okay. through these factors but um, so most mass ants beat humans at yes. least. So ant, ants are ahead. Yeah. Anything else on mass then? Should we go to impact on environment? I would be curious about other insect species because I, I don't know that ants are the most populous species, but I don't know. They have the most biomass though. So they the, do have, okay. The only, then all the, other in, insect species. Yeah. And, okay. Unless you're going to count um, krill. Oh, okay. So, but I think krill uh, wins on individual uh, living entities, right? but ants win on mass. Okay. So maybe this is a good spot, spot yeah, to stop. Numbers versus mass. Yeah. I right. mean, just to help conceptualize before we move on to impact, maybe I should just give some quick, quick ant factuals here. Sure. Just so we understand how incredible ants really are, <laughs> Jason. Uh, so there are at, at any one time an estimated 10 quadrillion living ants on planet Earth. That's a big number. It's a big number. Yeah. So I don't know how many zeros that is, but we can save that for We're Stupid in the next episode. They came to play. Yeah. yeah. Ants are 110 to 130 million years old, predate dinosaurs, uh, survived the Ice Age, and survived, going back to our extinctions episode, the Cretaceous extinction event, which we marked as the second most deadly of all the extinction events. Ants cruised right through that. Right. No problem. Didn't, didn't blink an eye. They're the longest living insect on Earth. Huh. Some some ants can live up to how old do you think an ant could live, Jason? The I, oldest ant. If I if I had to have guessed, I would have said like no more than a year or two. But I I, I have no Try idea. Thirty years. Wow. Yeah. That's really long lived. Yeah. So some ants can live up to thirty years. Uh, an ant can lift twenty times their weight. Hey, same as me. Same as. <laughs> it's almost like my my joke had synergy. Just for comparison purposes, that would be the equivalent of. A grown human male being able to lift lift nine thousand pounds, which is the equivalent weight of like a monster truck you go to like an arena to see. Right. Yeah, and they can also run a human equivalent of thirty five miles an hour. And for reference, the fastest human ever clocked ran twenty eight miles an hour over a very short distance. So I feel like Marvel really shortchanged their their character Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Kevin Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Who's yeah, Kevin right, Rudd? Man. Oh, yeah. He's the Australian prime minister. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to Paul Rudd, who was literally just voted sexiest man alive. <laughs> um, ants are the, also the only known uh, creature on Earth besides humans that farm and practice slavery. Uh, so there's another ant factual Wow, so they're very American. They're very American. <laughs> yeah, they've been they've been learning from the best. So those are those are probably the ant factuals that I'll share off the bat, but we've got some more. Yeah, so, holding some cards back. Yeah, for, we're going we're gonna to yeah. hold some ant facts back. Uh, just so I can have some gotcha moments as we uh, we <laughs> dig through this, Jason. So we covered we covered mass. Ants yep. went on the biomass front. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Most impact to the environment. This one was hard for me. I had to do math here. Right. And there are varying... Uh, there's no like good source on this. So science hasn't looked at this. Right. <laughs> Comparing the amount of soil that ants move per year compared to the amount of soil that humans move per year. So I'm looking at this from an impact on the environment in terms of shaping the geology. Gonna, that's pretty specific because I would argue that there are a lot of other ways that uh, species impact the environment, right? Mm -hmm. But let's go ahead and start with that. Yeah. So I, I'm starting with the the movement of mass here. And we'll get to the, I think the other like more biological impacts, but this is, this is where we started. So okay. one single colony of ants can move 50 tons of earth within one square mile of a hive every year. That's impressive. It's an insane amount. Yeah. And I, I believe the the statistic I saw, it's like the equivalent of each ant carrying like a, um, a fire truck's equivalent worth of dirt one kilometer per trip. And they do millions of trips. Good grief. Just moving dirt right. constantly. So that that's a pretty tremendous uh, amount. So that that comes out to if you if you do the math, eight point four five billion tons of earth moved globally per year by ants. 
impressive number. Yes. Humans crush them at yeah. 45 billion tons for humans. Now, this num- that number is a little deceiving for me because they can't delineate the amount of earth that's being turned over by farming. So that's included in there. It's not oh. actually being moved for like excavation purposes or building. Um, so I feel like we give them a little bit of an edge and to contextualize that the one like real serious scientific experiment that has been done in the Southeast United States to try to, that was basically the only thing you really have to help calculate these movement statistics right. is this group of scientists that poured a bunch of cement into an ant colony and then like just pumping it till it popped back out and let it settle. And then they dug it all up to like, look at what it looked like and they could do the math and extrapolate out. They basically said the level of complexity and the amount of earth moved vis-a-vis the amount of labor and the size of the ants. Every ant colony built is the equivalent of humans building the great wall of China. Like it's the same, it's a comparable amount of material and labor. Which is fascinating. But again, going back to trying to compare the two species, when you're talking about the great wall of China, that was done with manual labor. We don't do it that way anymore. Sure. It wouldn't take that much effort to actually build the Great Wall of China today. I mean, it would be expensive, but you could do it in far less time. All you have to do is. Right, dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, we're building walls all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> the ants are going to pay for it. <laughs> all right. So on this one, do you want to say edge humans on environmental impact? And I, I mean, I, I guess we can look at climate factors and uh, well, food chain factors. This but is I think they're going to the, be pretty comparable. One of the other species that I want to throw in the mix here, mm-hmm. um, because they don't move earth. They don't move dirt. They move wood. But the, the, the way that they move wood impacts the environment at a far greater rate. So it, I'm talking about beavers and building dams that flood areas. So it's not moving earth, but it's moving water. But even if a beaver can win on one of these indicators, there's no way it can win on the other two. There, there's no serious argument that beavers are the dominant species on earth. <laughs> I don't know. We we should talk to some beavers. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I don't think that I want to claim that beavers are the dominant species on earth. But on this metric, it's kind of hard to argue that they. I mean, pound for pound, they have as much or more impact than any other species, except for maybe humans. And I, th- I think you might even be able to argue, like, per capita, they actually have more of an impact than humans. Per capita, but I- I'm talking about on a- the global scale. Right. So, and I'm th- pretty sure beavers are only in North America. I <laughs> I honestly don't know. Yeah, I th- I'm um, pretty sure they are. And besides, if they weren't, then um, they're all top hats in Europe by now anyway, <laughs> and have been for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I don't buy the, I don't buy the, the beaver argument. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that about you. <laughs> I'll leave that one in. Um, All right. So advantage ants on mass, probably advantage humans on impact, but I think it's probably closer on than humans are on mass. Like it's not as, it's not as wide as a gap. Like ants win by a mile. If we're talking about earth movement, sure. But if, I mean, like ants are not raising the temperature of the planet. (laughs) But this is an interesting, but this is an interesting question. So when we say most impact on the environment, the, it's not spelled out in the definition, but you also have to ask yourself, okay, so most impact on the environment, but what if your the impact you're having on the environment is detrimental to your own survival? Sure. So that to me is an argument for ants being more dominant because they're having a massive impact on their environment without making it unlivable, while humans are having a massive impact on their environment while destroying it. Sure. <laughs> yes. But not everything that they've done to impact the environment has been destructive, right? Well, I'll, it's been to mitigate the destructive the destructive consequences of other well, actions. You were talking about farming. Like the idea that humans have cultivated crops has allowed the species to increase to a degree that we're actually impacting you know, mm-hmm. the climate at this point. Um, you wouldn't – like if you look at farming technology 300 years ago, you couldn't support, you know, seven point however many billion people you were talking about. It just, that wasn't possible until 100 years, you know, within the past 100 years. But ants have advanced, have grown their population to a greater biomass than humans, principally through agricultural and farming. And they've done it without destroying the environment, introducing pesticides, you know, well, they uh, are strip, pests. strip. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, deforestation, all the other things we've had to do that have negatively impacted the environment, arguably more so. So they're having a greater impact on the environment, but it's a detrimental impact. So do we give them credit for that? By the definition of impact, 
Sure. Okay. Because uh, I mean that's that's not a value laden term. All right. Well, I'll say gray area. I'll say gray area on this one. I'll give the edge to humans, but I think it's a I think it's a close contest between humans on and ants on impact to the environment. But now I think we're going to get to let me, the. Let me rephrase that though. It's not a, a value laden term unless you're talking about uh, like the the Dirty Harry movies, like sudden impact, <laughs> very very full yeah. of vape. Or, or a deep impact if we're going to '90s right. disaster movies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now let's get to the one I think that really matters then, because you can have an academic argument all day over whether you meet a definition, but really it just comes down to who's going to win in a fight. That's how you decide who's <laughs> dominant. I don't really care about biology.com and their definition. I define dominance by who can win in a fight. Right. So this is the last, the last indicator we're looking at, and could one destroy the other? So in the war, and keep in mind now you don't have Morty from the novel, the assassin cat here <laughs> right, to help right. you, Jason. Uh, in the war between humans and ants, which one do you think would win and why? Well, I've been fighting this war at my house now for 10 years. <laughs> the casualties have been fierce. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, and at best, I would say that we're at a draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, I seem to win in the winter months, but they always come back always in the summer back. for that, that, that summer campaign. Yeah. All right. Well, my vote is I think I've I think I've tipped my cards and uh, shown my ant bias, but I don't think this is even a contest in the war between man and ant in the mant conflict. Humans don't stand a chance, Jason. And there's a lot of reasons why. So the first is efficiency. Ants are probably the most efficient. Again, we can get into a crazy argument here about biology and maybe even viruses to an extension, uh, but they have brain cells. They have brain activity. So they're not an impulse creature, right? Like ants fire neurons. So that's the difference between ants and bacteria. So something that falls they into- They fire neurons. Do they actually have a brain? Yes. Okay. Yeah, ants do. So um, anything that has a brain that falls into that category, we'll say ants are probably the most efficient creature on earth. More so than bees? Uh, well, the bees are, the, okay, put it this way. The, humans are killing the bees now and we're barely even trying. Like we're trying <laughs> to kill ants and they're just getting stronger and continuing to win. So no, I, I'm not even going to entertain the bees, Jason. <laughs> not only are they, I think, the most efficient creature on the earth, but they're also extremely patriotic, Jason, and that's why they're going to win. How many scenarios can we think of where humans are willing to sacrifice themselves, give up their own lives in mass for the good of the colony? We already talked about uh, the ants that lined up to be decapitated in the Ukrainian nuclear weapons bunker just so one in 10 could survive. But there are all kinds of examples throughout the ant kingdom across the various different species that exist of ants like willingly giving up their lives either for population control um, or there's this crazy one I read about the species of ants that in order to protect themselves from predators, they wall off their the entrance to their hive every night, but they send ants out to wall it off from the outside. So like every day they send like a hundred ounce ants out on a suicide mission to cover the hole and they all know they're going to die. There's example after example in ant warfare or uh, these different behaviors that we observe of colonies being willing to sacrifice, basically act like zombies. There's just more of them and they're more terrifying. Uh, and that's just a quality that I think doesn't exist in humans and is really going to be advantage ant in the war with no name. I think that many of the survivors of World War One and World War Two would disagree with you. I think that I would agree that in today's society, it doesn't seem like we still have that capacity, at least in this country. And I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think humans have demonstrated time and time again that individuals are willing, oftentimes. Some individuals are. Right. Every ant is. And there's way more of them. <laughs> right. But they're very small. Right. But, but not from a biomass perspective. We're not even in their league. Well, then why aren't they just marching into our cities to take over? They are. I'm going to make the <laughs> argument before the end of this podcast that they're already dominating. We just haven't accepted it. So um, efficiency and sacrifice, I think advantage ant, it, it's going to... I'm not sure that I agree with that. Okay, but, well, yeah. it's going to be a contributing factor to ants being an insurmountable challenge to humans. So it's just <clears throat> it's just my first my first salvo, Jason. So, And you may want to bring this up at a later point, but you mentioned this idea that they were like zombies. Well, the only species that we're aware of that actually has zombies is ants. Is ants? Yeah, right? I know. Well, 
it's a uh, it's a form of fungus that right. infects ants. Right. Uh, it's actually the premise for the Last of Us video game, soon to be an HBO miniseries, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> um, but yes, but that's a Brazilian fungus that infects only ants. Um, it's actually crazy. If you're ever bored, go watch the YouTube videos of the spores basically growing from inside these ants. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's disturbing yeah. to say the least. Yeah. But again, you know, this idea of spores and fungus—they're not acting. There are no individual fungi or spores that have like a nervous system or a brain in the way that we've been talking about these other animals, but they do interact in a communal fashion. And I think that they have as much or more impact on the environment as any insect or mammal species. So you kind of have to throw them in the ring as well, I think. But in a war between man and fungus, man probably could eliminate fungus. I don't think man can eliminate ant. I... A particular fungus, like a, a, vir- a virulent strain of fungus that was targeting people. I think man could probably eliminate a species of ant. A species of ant. All right, well, we'll let's keep going, Jason. Okay. So the, the, the second, I think, factor we have to look at in how we're going to destroy one another in the war between man and ant is we have to look at, uh, can they dominate their environment? Can they dominate every environment that they encounter? Ants have dominated every environment that they've encountered on planet Earth. You can find them everywhere except Antarctica. Now, you can find humans in Antarctica, but I wouldn't make the case that humans are dominating the environment in Antarctica. (laughs) I would agree with that. Yeah. So (laughs) I I think this is like an even playing field. Everywhere that humans are, ants are. Everywhere ants are, humans are. And they both dominate the environment in their respective niches. Sure. Okay. So we're, we're even on that one. That one's a wash. Next comes to cooperation, Jason. When the Great War begins... At a species level, right. the ants will have a far greater chance of coordination and cooperation than humans are ever going to have. Can you envision a scenario against you know, any enemy, whether it be alien, ant, Canada, whatever it is that we could u- <laughs> unite all of humanity against a single existential threat in a combat situation? I don't think by the time we figured it out, by the time we got over our own petty infighting, the ants would have already won. Well, again, you're assuming a level of of unity in the ant community right. that doesn't currently exist. Like, or does it, Jason? This is a great point. But the level of continuity and cooperation necessary for the ants to rise up and overcome the fractured political nation-state system that humanity has created. We're aware it, of ant colonies that war with each other. Right. But a single dominant ant species operating as one collective hive mind is closer than you think, Jason. And that ant is the Argentine ant, uh, which is actually... Do you know about the Argentine <laughs> ant, Jason? Is this something you've ever looked into? I know that there are, a, there, that there are multiple ant species. I couldn't name one of them. <laughs> so yeah, I have no idea. Let me tell you about the ant species that you should know the most about. Right. And that's the Argentine ant. It's it's a lot like you, Jason. It's not the biggest ant, not the fastest ant, maybe the most handsome ant, but it punches far above its weight. So the Ar- the Argentine ant, native of Argentina, got its start approximately 100 million years ago and has been evolving in Argentina, engaging in typical ant-like behavior. So principal <laughs> hives... Uh, they get separated from each other, see each other as rivals, engage in ant warfare. Out drinking every night. Out drinking every <laughs> night, just living the Callahan lifestyle. Um, but then about 100 years ago, something very interesting happened. A few Argentine ant queens got stuck on a boat somehow and transferred to the s- southeastern United States. Upon arriving, they began to breed and grow and set up colonies. Because the ants that were an offspring of these specific queens had so little genetic diversity, they stayed extremely more cohesive and linked than ants in their native environment that were constantly branching out and eventually through the sheer volume and prodigious nature of their replication, becoming unique and different genetic groups. These ants were all genetically basically the same. It's inbreeding. They inbred and were so genetically dissimilar that they don't fight with each other. And this is where the first super colonies come into play. And the Argentine ant super colony that started it all extends from Northern California down basically through almost all of the Western United States and into Northern Mexico. And it's one single ant colony. From that single colony, more queens got on more boats. And now Argentine ants, you know, there's an argument whether it is a global super colony because they're obviously slow separated by oceans, but this same distinct genetic group is represented on every continent and is now the dominant ant species 
on each continent where you find it. So the six, not including Antarctica. You know, this is only a hundred years in the making. So ants have been around for, uh, what did we say, 150 million, 300, no, 150 million years. And in this short hundred year period, this one single species has come to, to be uh, the dominant species of ant on every continent and has eliminated infighting within its own species in a way that it's allowed it to dominate not only every other ant it's encountered, but most other insects in California. They've eliminated whole swaths of insects in California, like bees, spiders, um, springtails. Every In the environments they move into, they destroy everything through cooperation and coordination. Sure. But we're talking about over a hundred year period. And mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, I've said this before, nature is a mother. And if you don't have a lot- <laughs> Just of, like the rocket equation. Right, if you don't have a lot of genetic diversity in a population, it makes you incredibly susceptible to new- Not if you're breeding fast enough. Even so, uh, you get the right virus, you get the right sure. inf in infestation of some kind of an infection- it can wipe out entire populations really fast, particularly if everybody's immune system is the same. But you have millions of queens out there with one Argentine ant queen producing 300,000 new ants a week. Only 0.001, it's like in your nightmare doomsday scenario, only 0.0001% of that population needs to survive or have some sort of genetic lottery winning sequence to survive. And then that's what's going to, I mean, that's natural selection. That's what's going to replicate and then become the expressive trait in all of the ants that they produce from there. They'll replenish their numbers in no time and be immune. I understand. But within species, the thing that makes them the most resilient is, you know, this is why sexual reproduction has been such a successful mechanism uh, historically from a genetic standpoint, is that it gives you a lot of diversity in some aspect of your population will die off from certain things, but some aspect of your population is immune to those things. If your entire population has the exact same genetic disposition, they're all susceptible to the same thing. And there is no survivability of the 0.001%. If something kills one of them and it's contagious, it will kill all of them. Okay, so that, that's a separate thing that we can look at in ants' susceptibility to being destroyed sure. by humans. But what we're really trying to answer is the question of, are ants capable of not fighting ant wars and coordinating on a large scale and acting as one large hive mind biomass entity? I like the, the way that you twist the argument so that it no, fits we'll your facts. No, but we'll no, come, no, that's we'll, totally no, fine. No, no. We're going to come back to your argument. I'm just saying that we need to we need to finish answering this question of if okay. ants can act coherently, and then we can definitely look at what you're saying. Sure. Um, and I think that they've proven that they can. I think I, the Argentine ant is a great example of that. I think that the the hive structure of insects, be it ants, be it bees, be it, you know, there are several different forms of this. I agree with you. It's far more coordinated and efficient than the type of structures that you see with mammalian species, which, you know, be it dogs or cats or humans or whoever, like the social structures are far more randomized in those groups than you see within insect groups. But a lot of that has to do with the complexity of those social structures. You know, the, the ant structures, the bee structures are very hierarchical, right? Like you have worker ants and you've got guard ants and you've got queen ants and that's basically it, right? So it makes sense that they're extremely efficient, but it also doesn't allow for a whole lot of uh, innovative thinking as it were. Ants solve problems all the time. Like they're, they're innovative with the tool, like worker ants do worker things and soldier ants do soldier things, but they use those things to solve problems. There's all kinds of YouTube videos you can go watch because I watched them today right. of ants solving incredibly complex problems through oh, a hive mind mentality. I have very little doubt of that, but you know, you were talking about the Argentinian ant that exists on all five continents. I'm pretty confident in saying that they're very unlikely to ever like invent a radio system to communicate over those continents. Well, with only a right. hundred years of this level of coordination that's never existed like amongst ants before, as far as we know, they they have way more than a hundred years, Jason. So you, you have to right, think about think about it just from a pure... If you look at all ant species over 150 million years, it's not like they've developed bows and arrows. But they've never coordinated at this level before. They've never... There's never been ant colonies the size of ant colonies that we're observing today, so far as we can tell. And, you know, you're talking about technological advancements, um, developing technology or advanced society or agriculture beyond what they're already doing. So let's look at it totally from a brain quotient perspective. Sure. So one ant has 250,000 brain cells. So in order to get the <laughs> brain... Or the most QAnon. <laughs> so excluding, excluding QAnon subscribers, uh, <laughs> it would take, it takes a, roughly 40,000 ants 
to equal the brain cell capacity of one human. So technically, from a brain cell capacity perspective, ants also are there. They haven't quite cut up to humans there if you do the math, but they're on pace to to have the. That's a false equivalency, though, because the way that that brain structures work has to do with complexity within the brain. So just adding together 40,000 ants, like those neurons are not interacting in the way that they interact. But we don't know what hive minds are capable of as they continue to evolve, given the new environments and the new ways that they're operating in, and these new super colony systems that have never existed before. Well, if you look at the 150 million years of evolution of the ant, you see new and innovative ways of using the same uh, strategies over and over and over again, but you don't see them developing new tool use. You don't see them Yet. developing new languages. You don't see, like, right. But with all of the mammalian species that exhibit various levels of what we, you know, what we tend to think of in terms of human intellect, be it whales, be it dolphins, be it dogs, be it, you know, parrots, uh, which are not a mammalian species, obviously, but th- these levels of intellect are radically different than what you see in the insect world. Uh, the ways that these these creatures are structuring their their brains, the way that the, the neuron neuronal pathways uh, are becoming more and more complex, that's not what you see happening with insects. What an anthrocentric argument, Jason. I think you should be canceled. It's 2021. And look at you, just assigning your own personal neural pathways in the way that your particular species has developed technology. I named a bunch a, of other species. And applying it <laughs> applying it to ants specifically. As a matter of fact, I didn't even That's name- That's I, I didn't Speciest, even name- Jason. I didn't even name all mammals. I, I threw parrots in there too. <laughs> well, I know how you feel about parrots. Yes. But my point here though, Jason, is sure, you're probably right about what you're saying. But my point is that ants- <laughs> don't need to develop bow and arrows to kill all humans. They don't need to do it the way that we do it. They can apply those old tools to new tricks and easily wipe us off the face of the earth. First, how? And second, why? Well, (laughs) okay, why is not part of this, Jason? Don't get technical. Uh, No, I'm just saying if the ants, if they're so powerful and they're so like so dominant, we're killing lots and lots of ants. It would seem to me that, you know, at some point they would get tired of that. Yeah, no, I have I have two pathways on this. Okay. So w- one is a little sci-fi, and I think one is a reasonable natural progression of what we're already seeing with the super colonies. Okay. So with the super colonies themselves, you know, at some point, j- just like with what we're seeing now with the super colony that touches California, the Argentinian ants have, have destroyed in the areas that they dominate 90% of all of their insects in the areas that they've come to dominate. As the super colony grows, there is absolutely no biological or evolutionary reason that that lens could not be turned to humans if the hive mind decides that humans are an impediment to their survival or or unintentionally the hive continues to grow and continue its normal activity get more efficient more deadly and its impact on the environment is so detrimental to humans that we can't recover from it and then the final pathway that i would like to propose is i think there's one thing we're really overlooking here jason what if we help the ants accidentally what if we weaponize (laughs) ants what if to me, this is a great biological weapon thread that I'm assuming DARPA's pulling somewhere. I was somewhere. just about to say, I'm certain there's, there's already a DARPA someone, project There's on this, someone yeah. at DARPA working on this. <laughs> if you had to weaponize one form of biology that isn't like a virus or a bacteria, and you had to look at what could I release on my rival nation, destroy their cropped yields, overrun their cities, cause chaos and confusion and disruption across their infrastructure... Ants is the is the biological weapon I would choose and, and point at the the heart, the soon to be malleable heart of my enemy. <laughs> I disagree. I think that there are a lot of better ways to do that, from invasive plant species to invasive yeah. beetles or like that that one's just my that one's just my Hail Mary. Yeah, but to no, the point that like if ants needed to or decided to, the impact they could have on human food systems, human f- food supplies is so extreme that they absolutely could destroy humans if from either from a, like a, a pure re- reflex perspe- perspective of what they're already doing or if the hive mind decided humans are a threat and must be destroyed. So two things come to mind. The first one, actually, I want to argue through because it's a longer argument, but it goes back to something that you were saying earlier about the impact on environment and how you were not sure that you wanted to give credit to humanity for detrimental impact on the environment. So the idea of wiping out 90% of insect species in a region is reducing biological diversity that we have that's a, a thing that we have demonstrated time and time again leads to really bad consequences for who whatever species is 
causing that reduction in biological diversity. But with the Argentinian ant, when it does that, once it's exhausted all of the resources, it moves on to the next place. Now, right. eventually- That's super, not sustainable. That's not sustainable <laughs> for humans. It is sustainable for ants because like we've already gone over examples in this conversation here, and there are lots more of ants being willing to take on population control in a way humans never would. Humans aren't going to voluntarily line up for nine out of 10 to be beheaded because we don't have enough food down in the hole. That's what ants are willing to do. Understood. But that's still like, it's a longer term strategy strategy for self-destruction, but eventually you run out of other ants to, to behead. But on that path to self-destruction, they will be the dominant species <laughs> and win this argument, which is the whole point of ants' existence anyway, <laughs> to prove me right. I love that you have become the ant ambassador. <laughs> the ant ambassador, you mean? Ambassador, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you at the at the United Nations, like holding up your hand with like two extra hands, hey, like yeah. streaming from... Yeah, that like, literally, you have to read Morty. That is a thing in Morty. <laughs> So do you got anything else on that one? Other than that, I think it's pretty dumb. No. <laughs> well, th this is the my second. I guess I got I got two more here on why if we had to have, I mean, because the, remember the question here we're asking here. So like sub point C is right. who's going to win if they have to fight? Like which one can take out the other? Uh, so let me go back for just a second because uh, I said I had two, two yeah, yeah, thoughts yeah. and I, I finished the first one. The second one is if ants decided for whatever reason, I don't think that they actually have decision-making capabilities. I think it's it's more rudimentary than that. If for better, for lack of a better term, they decided to go after human society, this is where we do have the advantage. Like right now, ants are pests, but they're not a huge issue for us. And we are interested in biodiversity and they do serve a role in the ecology. So we're not trying to wipe them out. But if suddenly the Argentinian ants were wiping out the breadbasket of the United States and turning it into a dust bowl, we have we have things like Dow chemicals. Like we can we can figure out pesticides. We can figure out scientific ways to eliminate the pest or reduce the pest so that we can retain the biological diversity while also not starving to death. Jason, 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 you play right into my hands. Just just like humans into an ant hive, you've fallen into my trap. This this gets to probably, for me, one of the strongest arguments on why ants are the dominant species on Earth. Because ants can live without us. We cannot live without ants. Given the role that ants play in the food chain, in the biological system on which humans are dependent and which is increasingly observable to be extremely fragile. When they're if, covered with chocolate, they're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we did go to war and we had to eliminate the ants right. and let's say we won, we would all die. Like the planet cancer, like our food chain is built on ants, like the role that they play in it, in our geology, in our ecology, right. like humans are dependent on ants already. So let's say that there's two scenarios to our destruction here. Let's say that, all right, we fight the war and we win it and we eliminate all ants. Okay. Our food system collapses and it doesn't even have to collapse for that long. Like we just need to miss one yield. Society collapses and we launch nukes at ourselves and kill ourselves on our own. That's not difficult for me to imagine. I, I, it's a pretty uh, uh, quick assumption there, but I, I, I don't know that I followed that logic specifically, but I understand. But you, you understand the point that yeah, if yeah. we eliminated all ants, we'd be in really big trouble. That I do. Yeah, we would be in really big trouble. And now let's say that, okay, ants come in and we decide we do need to kill them and we do have, you know, we could just dump Dow chemicals on everything or we just develop a pesticide that targets just the queens and they all die. By the time it would take us to develop the countermeasures to stop the ants, they could just eat everything and they only have to eat everything once. We've talked about this on multiple episodes. Society is fragile. Ants don't have to kill all humans. Ants just have to fuck shit up enough so we all kill each other. <laughs> I'm serious. Think about it. I, I understand your point. I think it's an extreme view. I don't think that things would happen that quickly. And I do think that the time scale is such like- You're literally the person who like went out and bought an AR-15 because your power went out, Jason. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to tell me it's not going to fall apart that well, quickly? Well, that was just to make sure that they got my power turned on first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my point being that scientifically, we understand principles of nature in a way that ants do not. They're, they are reactionary to their environment. We can be proactive in a way that they are not capable of. And we understand chemistry well enough that I don't think it would take that long to come up with a pesticide. And initially, it would probably be very damaging, but it wouldn't be catastrophic. It would just stop the first wave, and then you go through and you figure out, 
oh, well, we probably shouldn't kill all the ants. And I think that it's a solvable problem where you keep the biodiversity while also eliminating the the problem. You're being too rational, Jason. You know Congressman Louie Gomer from Nacogdoches, Texas, is going to be on the House floor every day screaming, no ant left alive. And they're not going to stop until every ant is eliminated. We will not act as a species in our own self-interest. I agree with you. Everything you're saying about our technological edge and the knowledge that we have and the capacity we have to do things that ants don't have. But with all that knowledge and capacity, all we've done is be an antagonist to our environment while ants have learned to live in harmony with it. (laughs) Yes, live in harmony by eliminating 90% of the insect species. They leave 10% behind and then they move on and wait for them to replenish. They are essentially the locust aliens from Independence Day before it sucked. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that that's accurate at all. Ants don't have to win. They just have to start the war and we'll finish it and destroy ourselves. And I, now, I believe that. That I'm not, I am open to. Like the idea that insects, or the, as a species, they have survived much longer than humans have ever been in existence. And I suspect that they will outlive our species as well. I don't think that that's particularly controversial, just given the way, like the size difference of species. That's just the way that things happen. You know, we are far more vulnerable to far more complex environmental impacts than insects are. I don't see that ants are inherently more survivable than other species of insect, but you know, sharks have been around longer than ants have been. Like, so there are, there are complex species that are more, more complex than insects that have exhibited this same kind of survivability. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like when we go terrestrial versus aquatic, it's two totally separate arguments. I don't know if I don't know if we can qualify sharks. Okay, I should I should have <laughs> I should have done some research. Um, <laughs> no, you shouldn't have. No, I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. You mentioned that ants go back 150 million years. I think that there are insect species that outdate. Sure. Uh, I think that dragonflies might. I don't know that for but certain. But don't they don't meet the biomass or environmental impact requirements to be considered a dominant species? Right. Ants are the only but ones. But the argument that, that we're it. having right now is about survivability. It's not about biomass. It's not about impact on your environment. And if you're talking about just outliving another species, I grant you that ants are probably going to outlive humans. I don't think it's all that particularly debatable, but I don't know that they'll outlive lots of other species that don't have the same you know, impact necessarily on the environment. But but the question that we're on right now is who's going to win in a fight? The ants are the humans. And that's the subpoint of the indicator here. Dragonflies are going to lose in a fight with the humans. Ants are definitely going to win. <sighs> You want to know why they're going to win, Jason? Do you want to know, do you want another ant factual? Yeah, let's go for okay. it. Okay. Every ant you've ever seen, well, I don't know if you've been digging in hives or you've gotten really deep down in it, but every ant you have ever seen outside of the hive doing anything is a female. The male ants are just the drones. They show up, they, they shoot their shot, they get the queen knocked up, and then they die. Ants are going to win because they're all women. They're more efficient. <laughs> they're more organized. Now, at this they, point, I might actually agree yeah, with you. On. <laughs> the, the, the ants are just going to be better at it because women are better at everything. So that, that for me, that's the closing argument. Like ants are going to win because they're all lady ants. Right. Yeah. They don't have all the testosterone and bullshit running right. around. Yeah. Like yeah. we're fighting over like who's going to like patent the pesticide that we're going to use to stop the ants. The lady ants will already be you know raising the ant flag over the Capitol. <laughs> No, that, that, that's a, a valid point. Now, all I can hear in my head is that, that episode of Rick and Morty where they go to the, the world that's completely run by, by women, and there's the announcement over the PA about, uh, a spider was spotted in Sector 4. <laughs> Please consider alternative traffic routes and, and, <laughs> and plan accordingly. All of that said, man, I, I've literally used ants in biological warfare against other human beings. Like... <laughs> Back when I used to bartend, we, we would occasionally have uh, this religious group that would come and stand just off of our property and protest the bar that I worked at. And so we used to take beer pitchers and put about you know, a third to half sugar and then fill them up with water and go pour that all over the ground that they used <laughs> to protest on because this was in Florida and all the red ants would come for the sugar and then these guys would be out there protesting and suddenly. <laughs> See, I'm sorry, it's not that hard to weaponize ants, Jason. That just gets to my earlier point. All right. Give me your, if I, if I brought you over, are you a, are you a ant apostle now? What's your, what's your ruling here? Stupid or not stupid? I guess two questions. Yeah. Stupid or not stupid. Ants are the dominant species on our planet. And stupid or not stupid, our earlier question from a previous episode that we that brought us here. Right. If humans disappeared, ants w- would become the dominant species or continue to be. So I don't think that ants are the dominant species. I, I, it's very difficult for me to 
agree with that argument. I, I understand your points, and uh, it's very fascinating and interesting, but the fact of the matter is we have lots of civilizations that are not overrun by ants. They are overrun by ants. We just don't realize it. The ants are doing it the way they want it. We work for them, Jason. <laughs> all right. They're utilizing us as a resource, but okay. I actually right. don't agree with that. All right. All um, right. Second question. And then. the second question, I find that more plausible or at least less stupid, but I go back to the bacteria argument. If there were no humans, ants are certainly in the running to take over, but I think that there are a lot of other contenders out there. You mean there are new species for the ants to enslave to work for their purposes, <laughs> like we already do, Jason? Well, you'd be out of a job because there would be no UN at that point, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think this has been a very important discussion, God. Jason, and I'm sorry that you're so despondent about the outcome. Um, I see you're sweating over. Very antagonistic about this. <laughs> well, I, I I know you're sweating it, so I'm gonna get you some deodorant. <laughs> don't don't worry. <laughs> One of my all time favorite dad jokes that I used to tell Jonathan all the time. What did the Pink Panther say when he stepped on an ant? I don't know. Dead ant, dead ant, <laughs> dead ant, dead ant, dead ant. And dead somehow ant. I expect this will be fading in uh, to Jason's cover track for the end. <laughs> Until next time. 